What is up kangaroo chasers and what a night. Uh, just got out of the press conference via Zoom uh, from the Rugby League World Cup 2021. John Dutton, CEO, and Troy Grant, uh, the International Rugby League Chairman, to confirm what we've all known for the last few days. Uh, if you're a kangaroo chaser, you would have heard it first on our socials, but the World Cup for 2021 will go ahead as scheduled. Uh, most of the nations looking like getting on board. In fact, John thinks that they all will. The big question mark has been Australia because, of course, the NRL, the clubs, uh, it's no secret they haven't wanted this to be on. They wanted to postpone the event. Um, but for the first time, I think, ever, uh, International Rugby League has stood up to the NRL and said, no, this is way too important. Our World Cup is more important than anything else that we have, and it's happening. And uh, I'm so proud because we've been we've been needing this sort of stance for a long time. Uh, of course, lots of cooperation and still a long way to go. We're still in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, player safety will be paramount. Um, but 100 days to go, and it's absolutely huge. I'm glad that it's finally officially announced that it will go ahead. And uh, credit to John and the team. Uh, they've done an incredible job. Um, you know, their goal was to bring us the best World Cup of all time. They may still do that, um, despite everything that has gone on. And, you know, many, many have said it couldn't be done, it wouldn't be done. But it's being done, 100 days to go. Uh, guys, we're going to bring you basically the entire press conference, um, the entire Zoom press conference that I just heard. I'm going to bring it to you so you can be a fly on the wall. Very interesting. Uh, lots of great stuff. Uh, lots of great quotes. And, um, yeah, World Cup's on, baby. So let's go straight to that press conference. We'll go straight to John Dutton. I'm Michael Carboni. This is episode 121 of the Chasing Kangaroos podcast. Thank you very much, Michael. Uh, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. First of all, I'd like to thank you for your patience and understanding over the past few months. We've been working very hard to ensure we can deliver the biggest and best ever Rugby League World Cup. We faced a number of challenges and are under no illusions about the challenges that remain. The COVID environment has presented some, some problems for us to navigate through. We're very mindful of the situation in Australia, in particular, the NRL competition and its temporary relocation to Queensland. Today marks 100 days to go, and we believe this is the right moment to take away any remaining uncertainty. Our journey started in 2015, and we have never lost sight of our purpose of using this tournament to make a positive impact on people's lives. The tournament is bigger than sport, bigger than rugby league. This is our moment to shine. I'm going to pass over to Troy. Just before I do, I'd like to place on record my thanks to Troy for his outstanding support over the past few months. Troy, over to you. Uh, thank you, John. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Uh, as chairman of uh, the International Rugby League, I just uh, want to express my sincere gratitude to Chris Brindley, uh, his entire board, John Dutton and his entire team uh, for their tenacity and professionalism in taking on a significant world sporting event uh, on our behalf uh, in the most challenging of times. Uh, the work that has gone into the organising of this event, as John 
has alluded to in regards to the uh, preparation, uh, the, the liaison, the communication to all key stakeholders throughout some very tumultuous times and some tough decision-making has been nothing short uh, of amazing. I'd also, on behalf of the National Rugby League, like to thank the United Kingdom government. Uh, the support of the government is unparalleled in rugby league history. Uh, the support that has been garnered by the program that's been put together by Rugby League World Cup 21 across men's, women's and wheelchair World Cups uh, is going to have a long lasting legacy impact for rugby league um, across the globe, which is in everybody's interest. As John alluded to, there are many challenges uh, that are accepted and as I've witnessed, uh, particularly given my involvement with the Project Apollo work in the NRL in 2020, if Rugby League puts its mind to achieving something, it more than often gets success and rewards. And I've seen a similar level of dedication to making sure this event happens. Uh, there will be ongoing challenges, no doubt, but I've got every assurance in the capability of the World Cup 21 Committee in overcoming those challenges. I thank all our member nations, the 16 teams participating in the men's um, competition, the eight in the uh, women's competition, and likewise for the wheelchair, um, in their dedicated support in trying to find ways and pathways to overcome the various obstacles that have been presented. I'm really excited um, with the World Cup occurring. I can't wait to get there myself and just see what an impact it will have and help us finally unlock and realise the potential that International Rugby League has had for far too long that hasn't been realised. So thank you, John. Thank you, Chris. And thank you for all joining us today. Very happy to take your questions. Thank you, John. Thank you, Troy. Uh, if you can raise your hand, please, if you've got a question for, for John or Troy, and I will come to you. I can see a few physical hands up in the air and a few others coming together. Uh, if I can kick off, can we go to uh, Gareth Walker from uh, Reach PLC, please? Morning, John. Hope you're well and thanks for doing this. Uh, just a, a, the first one, uh, John, can you explain how significant it is that you've been able to make this decision, you know, having watched the Euros and the Wimbledon competitions set place in front of big crowds, how significant a day is it for you? Hi, good morning, Gareth. Uh, very nice to um, see you. Um, first of all, I think we just go back to 2013. Um, England, the UK, delivered a tournament in 2013, and we always knew that this could be bigger and better. Uh, the pandemic has brought a number of challenges for us to navigate through, but you're absolutely right. The Football European Championships was a unifying moment for England. Other events are happening. We have New Zealand, India and Pakistan here playing cricket. We're obviously mindful of what, what's going to happen in Tokyo. Uh, Wimbledon finished last week with Ash Barty lifting the trophy. Uh, the Open Golf starts today. We're seeing the Tour de France and uh, cyclists uh, cycle around France and so on. There are multiple examples. And of course, in autumn uh, during our tournament, um, the UK will welcome the Wallabies and the All Blacks to play games of rugby union. So Sport is important, tournaments are very special, and we have seen in England before our eyes how important and how very special that has been over the past few weeks. 
Thanks, Jen. I'll pass you over. I'm sure everybody else will ask plenty more. Cheers, Gareth. Can we go to Brad Walter, please, nrl.com? Yeah, hi, hi, John. How are you going? Um, congratulations on, on the work that you've done. Um, no doubt it's been a, a huge effort to get to the point where you can say that the tournament is going ahead, but um, do you expect all of the nations to turn up? Hi, Brad. Very nice to see you. Um, we do. Uh, we are very confident. Uh, we have 21 different nations. Troy referred to the 32 teams. We have 21 uh, nations come to the UK. Um, we met uh, with all of them uh, earlier in the week. We appreciate there are some, still some challenges for us to work through. What we are seeing is uh, incredible appetite for the tournament to be staged. It's really important for us to take away the clarity and uncertainty and to build confidence and from a player's perspective, from a coach's perspective, from an administrator's perspective, um, yes, we acknowledge that there are still some things for us to work through. But overridingly this week, uh, we've had nothing but positivity. Thanks, Brad. Martin Sadler. Oh, uh, thanks very much. Uh, hi, John, and hi, Troy. Um, Congratulations on today's announcement. It's really great to see. But I, I just wonder, can you just confirm that you've actually now got cast iron participation agreements from all the nations? You've obviously said already that they're very enthusiastic about coming, which is great to hear. But obviously, it would be great if they were tied down so there was absolutely no doubt that they could back out at a later stage if, you know, if the worst came to the worst. So... Uh, are you absolutely confident, John and, and Troy, that um, you've got you've got contracts that that, that are going to make sure it goes ahead? Yeah. Uh, good morning, Martin. Uh, thank you for your question. Um, there is still work to do. Um, there has been no secret. Lots of speculation about uh, the ARLC uh, Australia's participation. Um, we are very confident uh, that Australia will participate. We are very confident that they will join the other twenty competing nations. We acknowledge that there are challenges ahead. I have been speaking to Andrew Abdol, the chief executive of the NRL on a regular basis. We have met with Peter Volandis. Um, we have been meeting with uh, the commissioners on the ARLC. What we have to recognise is the relocation of the NRL competition to Queensland. Uh, the relocation, I think, of two of the three uh, origin games has presented a number of challenges domestically um, for them to contend with. So we are very respectful of that. We will continue to work with them, uh, Martin, but we wouldn't be making this announcement today if we didn't have the confidence that those nations uh, would arrive in England and compete in the tournament. Can I just follow up on that, um, John? Have you spoken to the Rugby League Players Association in Australia about the players' attitudes? Because, you know, I, I would hope that the players in the NRL, whether they're representing Australia, Tonga, New Zealand or anywhere else, would be, you know, really keen to come because most sportsmen want to play in World Cups, don't they? Yeah, we, we have, Martin. I mean, I'll just take you through some of the things that we've done. Um, a long time ago, in fact, before the pandemic, we set up a player working group uh, with athlete representation across the three tournaments and across the world. We have been uh, meeting with Clint Newton um, and his team at the RLPA on a regular basis. Um, I would describe our relationship as extremely positive. Um, Clint and his team have raised a number of concerns and we've been working together over the past few months to address those. We've also additionally surveyed 
the players and we receive positive feedback. We know that players want to play in this tournament. Of course, there are a number of concerns. And I think it's important to recognise the quite radical difference in approach to the pandemic here in the UK and in Australia and New Zealand. So there's more work to do, Martin. Uh, but yes, from a players union perspective, uh, we will continue those conversations and they've been incredibly uh, helpful to us. Thank you. Uh, thank you, John. Thank you very much. Uh, can I go to Michael Karianis, please, from uh, Daily Telegraph? I think you're on mute, Michael. Sorry. Yeah, some of my best. Um, you feel like, uh, John, sorry, hey, how, how you going? You said that um, a little bit needs to be done before uh, the NRL tick off on, or the ARLC tick off on, on the Kangaroos. Can you talk us through that roadmap? What needs to be done from, from your end to get that final sign off, do you believe? Yeah, hi, hi Michael. Um, look, we, we are already taking some extraordinary measures to ensure that every team's safety is of the paramount importance. We've got to recognise that what's happening in New South Wales at the moment, what's also happening in the UK, means the environment is changing. I would describe the biosecure measures that we have already put in place as significant and incredibly similar to what is uh, being experienced at the moment here in cricket, in particular with the Indian cricket team. I, I think that the additional uh, measures that we need to put in place are small, and I am very confident that we can do that over the next few weeks. But we are respectful of the NRL clubs, the RLC's position. They want to make sure that player safety is of paramount importance. We absolutely share that desire, Michael. Thank you, Michael. Um, I think if we could go to Ian now. Sorry, apologies, that was in the chat. Ian. Hi there, thanks, thanks, Michael. Hi, John, good to see you. Morning, Ian. Morning. Uh, John, it's obviously taken some time to get to this point, understandably. Have you? Is it fair to say you've reached the point of no return? And did you ever come close to um, making a postponement? Yeah, thanks for your question, um, Ian. We, we've had to um, obviously look at an options appraisal. Uh, I think it's fair to say there were three options um, over uh, the past few months. Um, continuation, as we are doing postponement and also cancellation. Um, this tournament is so important and I, I very happily uh, pass over to Troy to talk about how important it is for International Rugby League. Um, what, what were the things we considered, Ian? Um, we've got great momentum. There is a resounding desire from UK government um, as part of the reopening and uh, rebuilding of confidence here in the UK to see this tournament go ahead. Um, as uh, the question from Gareth, we've seen the Football European Championships and how incredible that was. And we are also now seeing international, international athletes travel around the world in a safe environment to play in their sports. I think that the player power, the importance to players of putting on their national shirts. We saw 
in 2017 at the Rugby League World Cup, Jason Tamalolu and Andrew Fafita's decision, which I think was a seminal moment for International Rugby League. And we know from speaking to players the desire there is to play in the tournament. So did we consider uh, a number of options? Of course. Um, have we uh, gone past the point of no return? We have. We will stage the tournament this year and we just look forward to welcoming the athletes and providing the safest possible environment. When do you need the commitment from the, the Australians? Uh, there's no deadline, um, Ian. We, we will continue to um, work with them. We, ha we are talking uh, to colleagues in the ARLC, to the RLPA and to all the nations on a very, very regular basis. Um, so we know and appreciate there are a number of concerns. We appreciate that the domestic competition has to, for the moment, take priority and we absolutely um, respect that. But there's no deadline. We continue to work with everyone and it's about satisfying as best we can uh, people and making sure that the players have the opportunity to represent the nation. Some players, it's maybe the only chance to play in a Rugby League World Cup, and it's a very, very special moment. And I think on that, uh, Ian, I'll, I'll just pass over to Troy to maybe talk about the importance of International Rugby League. I think it's always at the crucial moment that the technology lets you down. Troy, are you back with us? Yeah, sorry, I just John just froze on my end for a second. Was that a question to answer to me? Yeah, um, Ian asked a, a question, um, Troy. Yeah, I heard the. Yeah, I got the question. Yeah. Look, um, from international rugby league perspective, uh, the World Cup going ahead this year is critical. Uh, Twenty twenty. Uh, meant that there was no International Rugby League and it was sorely missed, uh, particularly given the momentum that Tonga's uh, victory over Australia created. And the talk that I've seen uh, across the Southern Hemisphere is a real yearning for International Rugby League to um, reclaim uh, it, its status uh, across the game uh, more broadly. Uh, as an organisation, we've gone through some seismic changes uh, to make that happen examining um, our commerciality opportunities to support the game more broadly, reinvestments. Um, the opportunities that the broadcast arrangements for the World Cup 21 uh, give us uh, are extraordinary, particularly for the women's game. Um, and that's something we're really, really um, pleased about and grateful for. Uh, this is an opportunity for us to take a big leap forward um, and one that we've been waiting on at the international level for far too many years. Um, but we're finally at the starting blocks for realising that potential, as I referred to earlier. And uh, this uh, World Cup, along with um, high hopes for the 2025 World Cup to run off the back of that, and uh, with an international calendar to be released uh, this year, will give us the certainty that a lot of international rugby league fans have been after. Um, no more than the players, many of whom I've spoken to, who have expressed their keenness and desire to play this year. Brilliant. Thanks, Troy. Um, if we can go to Katie Brown, then Matt Shaw for that one. Uh, congratulations, John and Troy. It's really exciting. Uh, first question, do players have to be vaccinated to compete at this year's World Cup? 
Hi, Katie. Thank you for your question. Um, we will not make vaccination mandatory, uh, but we are strongly encouraging every nation to ensure that their players are double vaccinated before arriving at the tournament. Okay. Um, and just on that, I think uh, you can appreciate down in Australia, it's a very different situation. I know that you're um, all vaccinated mostly. Um, so I think we're thinking of it as a bit of a scary situation. What protocols or do they have to be in bubbles? Because I know a lot of the chat with the coaching staff here in the NRL is how do they give players a rest before pre-season starts for the next season? Yeah, absolutely, uh, Katie. And uh, as I referred to earlier, we, we are mindful of uh, the situation in Australia is radically different to the situation here in the UK. Um, we need to create a balance between uh, a life experience and player safety. So um, we have had some learnings, again, referring back to cricket, about the quite extreme bubbles that cricket operated in last summer and how that has now been relaxed slightly um, here uh, for this summer. So um, we will ensure the athletes arrive safely. Uh, there will be a testing regime. Um, athletes will be in what I would call a form of a hybrid biosecure bubble, Katie. So ensuring that they are safe, uh, but also uh, thinking of their mental well-being, the time that they'll be away from the families here in England, and obviously the time that they have to spend in managed quarantine in Australia. So we have a number of uh, measures that we will put in place. Um, and clearly, uh, we are working with um, advisors here in England about public health, but also advisors close to the sport. And some really interesting uh, statistical evidence coming out about the low risk of being infected by actually playing the sport of rugby league. In general, uh, the infection rate still remains high in the UK. Uh, it is people who have not been vaccinated yet in general, but also uh, it's people uh, in terms of society and their behaviour rather than what happens in a game of rugby league or the environment that we will wrap around the players and the staff. Thanks, Dents. Excellent. Thanks, Katie. Matt Shaw, please. Isaac, congratulations on the news. Uh, John, is, are there any other assurances uh, that the NRL um, and that side of the world have asked for, along with those that you've, you've just sort of touched on there? Thank, thanks, Matt. Um, there were some big things um, that we've had to work through to begin with. Um, and this isn't just about the NRL. This is about all the competing nations and players union. And we shouldn't forget, you know, we've got nations coming from Brazil, from the USA, from Canada, from Jamaica, the home nations, the Pacific nations, etc. So we believe we've worked through the big ticket items and there are still some remaining items uh, that we need to work through and the only caveat is we just have to recognize the radically changing circumstances so a couple of examples um, on Monday on the 19th of July uh, in England the remaining Covid restrictions will be lifted so things like social distancing uh, face coverings etc we will retain many of those to offer that additional uh, safety to protect the players so um are there still is there still some more work to do matt absolutely uh, but is this the moment where we are confident that we can tell everyone we will stage the tournament create excitement and build confidence it absolutely is obviously one of the big attractions for, for players that go to a world cup where they go overseas is the tour element of it is that going to be restricted as a result of um, the bubbles you mentioned and was that was that one of the concerns of the players that they're maybe not going to get the the full experience as such 
Yeah, un undoubtedly. Um, and we're asking players to make a very big commitment to spend the time here in the UK, and particularly those going back to Australia, New Zealand and the Pacific, to spend 14 days in managed quarantine. We, we wish we could make that go away. Um, we can't. Uh, we are quite interested in what's happening with the trial in South Australia of home quarantine. Um, maybe, maybe that's something that uh, will happen in time for the tournament. But most importantly, um, instead of saying we can't do things, Matt, we probably just need to do things in a different way. Inevitably, there will be some compromise. Um, I think we, we have seen and um, we have um, got Andrew Hill, uh, the chief executive of the Rugby League World Cup in 2017, who's incredibly experienced in international rugby league. And, and Andrew will tell us about the experiences that the Kangaroos in particular have had. We won't be able to provide uh, all of those, but it is a careful balance between ensuring that we give people a true life experience and perhaps that one and only experience to play in a Rugby League World Cup. Just finally for me, then, is that where the, the hybrid element of the, the bubbles come in? Will, can you just sort of give us some further details on how they'll work and how they will allow for players to have that little bit of freedom that you talk about? Yeah, it, it, it's things like uh, in and around the hotel is the main um, element to make sure that players can be together, that they're not isolated, to make sure that players can get a coffee together, that they can eat together. It's also to recognise we've got 18 wonderful host towns and cities uh, who are expecting a significant amount of community engagement events. It's likely we won't be able to do all of those. We may be able to do some of those. We will certainly do things um, in a different way. So it's a balance, Matt, isn't it, between player safety is paramount, getting to the start line and then delivering a world-class tournament, uh, but also making sure that people can have a great life experience. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Matt. Um, if we can go, there's two in the chat. Apologies for the delay. Uh, Steve Mascord first, please. Good morning, John. Congratulations on, on everything that's happened so far. Um, just a question. I, I noticed yesterday Greg Peters from New Zealand um, said just yesterday the World Cup should be best versus the best or, or not at all. Um, and we've We've heard some stuff about um, sort of bubble conditions um, and um, one of the suggestions was that the players may be able to mitigate their time in isolation back in Australia somehow, maybe by having a hard bubble in this country with both governments, um, uh, you know, being involved in that. And just to make it a sort of a triple-barreled um, question, is there a point where teams who aren't going to come need to be replaced? If you're going to replace Australia, is there some sort of time frame there where you Will you replace a team that that, decide, that opts not to come? And, and when do you need to know? I guess that's two and a half questions anyway. <laughs> thank you. Uh, thank you for those uh, questions, uh, Steve. Uh, good to see you. Um, I think with regard to uh, comments uh, from New Zealand and many other uh, nations, of course, of course, we want to see the world's best players. But we should recognise in any tournament, some of the world's best players don't participate uh, through injury and other circumstances. But we will continue to work with the players uh, to create that environment and ensure that we've answered all of their questions. I, I think in terms of replacement nations, um, it is a matter for uh, our colleagues at the IRL, but we're working very closely with Troy and with Danny uh, Kazanjian on ensuring that we have replacement teams in each of the three competitions. And if a team does need to be replaced, it will be. But we are focused on the nations that have won the right to play in this tournament, the nations that we expect and are excited to see. And again, I would draw back to the draw, starting with England versus Samoa in Newcastle, starting with England versus Australia in the wheelchair first game, England versus Brazil in the first game, and all the nations that many people here in the UK 
have never seen before. We know from our ticket sales that we have attracted new people that have not seen a game of rugby league. And that's why we need to continue to work hard, continue to ask, answer the questions uh, and ensure that we get the athletes over here and we can deliver that incredible tournament. Sorry, what about the sort of the other part of the question? Is it possible that the players may be able to um, do some of their isolation here and go back into the community in Australia? Yeah, uh, sorry, 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 Steve. Um, uh, yes, I mean, we are working with the Commonwealth Government in Australia. We're also working with the state government in New South Wales. Um, we are um, working with our politicians here to make sure those conversations are happening. Uh, you may have seen um, four or five weeks ago in the G7 summit uh, that the UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson uh, met with the Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison and talked about the Rugby League World Cup. That's how important this tournament is. So specifically on the bubble and the isolation, I can't answer that. But that is something that we will continue to work through. Again, providing what we can as the safest possible environment, but also very respectful and mindful of the NRL competition restarting um, next year. Thank you. Thanks, Steve. Uh, can I go to Thomas Dunn, please? Hi, John. Hi, Troy. Uh, congratulations on the announcement this morning, first of all. Um, just a first question to John. Um, Yesterday, Boris Johnson, the UK Prime Minister, said he wouldn't rule out further restrictions coming back in uh, in the winter. And on top of that, the Health Secretary here has suggested we could see 100,000 cases a day um, from the end of the summer. Given that, are there contingency plans being put in place for the tournament to have a capped capacity for fans or, in a worst-case scenario, have the games played behind closed doors? Yeah, thank, thank you very much, uh, Thomas. Um, I, I think if we go back to the football European Championships, if you remember at the start of the tournament, uh, Wembley Stadium had a capacity of uh, in the region of 25,000. That went up to 45,000. That went up to 65,000 for the final. That was in five weeks during the tournament. Um, so, yes, we have some contingency plans in place should social distancing return. Yes, we have some plans in place for behind closed doors. That's not what anyone wants to see. This tournament deserves to be seen by um, spectators. Um, but this is the environment we live in. And I think one thing that, the one thing that the pandemic has taught us, we have to be nimble and we have to be agile. Uh, and we'll continue to work with our public health partners and with UK government very closely to react to any situation uh, that may come in over the next few months. Just a quick one for Troy as well. Um, you know, many people in England, not just in England, but here in the Northwest, very much looking forward to this tournament, not especially with Old Trafford uh, hosting the final. So with that in mind, um, you know, for people who don't follow the sport that closely, but are really looking forward to going to the games and getting involved with the tournament, just give us an idea of how much of an impact the pandemic has had on the international side of the sport in the last 18 months. Uh, it's been been profound, um, without question, and and that's across um, the the three, uh, the wheelchair as well as women's and and um, particularly um, with with the men's being the most uh, mature of the uh, of the three. Um, the the challenge we have is that um, we have a massive remit in the IRL. We're not just responsible for the World Cup or the competitions at the elite level. 
but we're very uh, responsible for the development of the game globally. So in the absence of um, top line international rugby league being played, it presents a gap that's very challenging for us to recover from. So momentum uh, in a, any sport with competition and eyeballs on the sport and then excitement being generated is vital. So 2020 was a, a big year. Uh, so in terms of impact, and, and that's why our excitement's so high for, for the World Cup in 21, it's, we're really hopeful that it will unleash and an unbridled enthusiasm and the momentum for us to build forward on, on so many well laid plans to, to continue to grow the game. And as I said, reestablish it in the esteem that it should be held. And, um, and I'm very grateful for World Cup 21 committee for giving us that opportunity. And I'd likewise acknowledge the enormous difficulties um, that some nations are currently facing and have faced over this period of time and the personal choices that will be made by individuals and the considerations. But player safety is, I know, World Cup 21's number one priority. It is our priority and nothing will be done to compromise that player safety or welfare. And um, we understand there's great depth in a number of nations that will be able to cover off some of those potential absentees with higher quality. If, if you look at the Australian team, I know how keen James Tedesco is as the as the a fullback, the premier fullback in, in the Southern Hemisphere. But if he was unavailable for injury, well, then you go to Tommy uh, Turbo, Trevojevic. Um, if he wasn't there, Latrell Mitchell, Caelan Pong, like there's a significant depth uh, there in, in many positions. And I'm sure Mal Meninga, um, Michael Maguire, Christian Wolf, uh, Matt Parrish um, from these parts of the world and those teams that rely heavily on NRL players uh, have significant depth to provide this tournament with high quality teams uh, that will thrill the spectators and, and help us achieve that that momentum that we're after. Great, thanks, Chance. Thanks, Thomas. Uh, I think we'll go to Dave Woods. Hello, sorry, troubling with the technology here. Um, a couple of questions for Troy, if, uh, if that's okay. Uh, hi, Troy, good to see you. Um, can an element of today's announcement be interpreted as being a flexing of the muscles by the international game um, to challenge the, the Sydney mindset that rugby league is bigger than just Sydney's backyard, that this is an international opportunity, um, given that the, the Aussies haven't fully signed up yet? No, look, uh, I, I don't think it's a flexing of the muscles, but it's certainly uh, the independent uh, international rugby league, um, certainly uh, fulfilling our duties to the game. Uh, as a board and having a wonderful partner with World Cup 21. Uh, commissioners uh, Pierce and Beattie um, from the ARLC are also on the ARL board and have been nothing but supportive. Andrew Abdo, the CEO, uh, has been fabulous to work with from what John Dutton tells me and, and Andrew's got nothing but the highest esteem for John Dutton as well. It's just the reality that there are challenges um, that everyone has to overcome. Um, the ARLC have many stakeholders, whether it's the states and the clubs, uh, the RLPA, for example, who also have been brewing in this. So th this is a partnership opportunity and we've all been honest and real with each other. Uh, and, and the same goes for uh, each of the other countries represented on the IRL board. Uh, we've recognised the challenges, but we've had a can-do attitude and mindset about it because as I've alluded to a couple of times and I won't repeat it, 
the opportunity lost by not having the World Cup this year is massive and could be significantly damaging uh, to the international game to be. And reputationally, if soccer players can play and tennis players, our wonderful Ash Barty can go to London and win Wimbledon and lift that trophy and, and just make a whole nation proud. Um, you know, we've got our golfers there at the Open at the moment in England. If they can all do that, why, why can't our rugby league players with the surety that's been put around looking after their welfare and that as well? I think the, the reputational damage to rugby league would be immense um, for those that um, deliberately elect not to participate. Thanks for that. And, and just a kind of an extension of, of Steve Maskell's question earlier, um, as opposed to an alternative country, uh, could the IRL um, recognise an alternative Australia and, and what would be the method, methodology behind that? If, if the IRLC don't sign up to this, could you sanction an Australian team made up of Sorry. Super League Sorry, baseball? Dave, I've frozen. Sorry, can you hear me now? Uh, well, I'll ask, I'll, ask that, I'll ask that of John then. Um, oh, you're back again. You're back again. Um, can you? Yeah, yeah, I'm back. Sorry, I just froze right at the critical time. Yeah, can you sanction an Australian rugby league team uh, as opposed to bringing in an alternative nation? Uh, I mean, similar to what happened in '95 with the World Cup and the Aussies that came over there, and what you've done with Tonga as well in the recent past. Can you sanction an, an alternative Australian team made up of, of players who want to come from Australia and, and, and Super League based Australians? Uh, no, we, we could technically within the operational rules and the articles of association that we have, but that would be counterproductive uh, in our view and, and it's not the, the lens or the mindset we're working through. Uh, we're just, um, yes, there's sanctions available, but again, I'm not sure what purpose they would serve other than damaging the game of rugby league. We're, we're a, a funny community and funny family rugby league. We, uh, we can violently disagree on a lot of things, but when challenges are presented, we unite more often than we divide. So um, I'm sure that there's pathways to um, get everyone on the same page and be satisfied and comfortable with all the arrangements, given the hard work that's taken place. So um, sure, they're there, but they're certainly not um, being considered. So just in short, if, if the IRLC don't sign up to this, if Australia don't come, there will not be an Australian involvement in the men's tournament. Oh, that's something we'll have to deal with at the time. Um, but you know, there is, as alluded to earlier, other opportunities for us to uh, replace. There's contingency um, arrangements that we can enact uh, in those instances. But uh, I'm, I'm feeling nothing but positive, despite the enormity of some of the challenges that uh, Mal Meninga for the men's team, as you referred to, will bring 25 wonderfully gifted rugby league players to England to play in the Rugby League World Cup. Thank you. Thank you very much, Dave. Uh, if we can uh, circle back to uh, Michael Karianis, please. Yeah, thank you, guys. Uh, obviously, you've you guys have an understanding, I, I guess, that an Australian side will uh, be there at, at the tournament. Do you guys have any guarantees from anyone that Australia will be there? Has anyone said to you, "Yeah, we're definitely in"? Uh, happy to say that, um, Michael. Um, 
no, no one said they're definitely in, no one said they're definitely um, out. And that's where, um, as Troy referred to, um, I have nothing but respect for Andrew Abdo. I have spoken to Andrew on a regular basis. Uh, we are speaking to the executive, to the commissioners, um, and we appreciate the circumstances that the NRL competition faces at the moment. So we just need to keep working uh, together, Michael. But we wouldn't have made this announcement today if we weren't confident that A, we, we can deliver the tournament, B, we can deliver it safely, and C, that the nations uh, that have qualified to play in the tournament uh, will ultimately come to the UK and will take part uh, in the tournament. So we acknowledge um, what's happening. We have um, put a team of people in Sydney. We have and will continue to be nothing but solution focused. We've been pretty relentless, tenacious and belligerent. Um, but we, uh, it's important for us to recognise the extreme circumstances that we face uh, and having people on the ground in Sydney um, is nothing but helpful for us at this moment in time. And can I just ask one more? Sorry, the, we're obviously focused on, on Australia at the moment. If the ARLC don't endorse the, or don't sign up to the participation agreement, how would you suggest that would affect other NRL players who are eligible for other nations? Yeah, look, we're very mindful um, of that, Michael. We, we anticipate, obviously, the squads haven't yet been selected, but between four and 500 people coming from um, uh, coming from Australia, coming from New Zealand, coming from the Pacific nations. So it's really important that we continue to work with the ARLC and the NRL competition because many of those athletes will play for Tonga, for Samoa, for Papua New Guinea, for Lebanon, for Greece, um, and so on. So it's critical that we continue to work together. It is critical that we ensure the players have a voice in this, and that is so important to us. Thank you. Thanks, Michael. I think we've got two more hands up. There was a suggestion, Ian Laybourne, if there was another question from you or... Yeah, yeah. can I just ask one more, please, to John? Sure. John, there's a suggestion that you're going to charter flights to bring everybody from Australia, four or 500 people. Um, can you confirm that? And I presume it's going to be a huge cost. Would that make deep inroads into the projected profits that you've got? Uh, yes, we can confirm that, um, Ian. We are uh, taking some extraordinary measures to ensure the athletes arrive here safely and also return home um, safely. So charter flights are one of a number of measures. Uh, clearly, that wasn't what we budgeted for originally. What I would point to is our quite exceptional commercial performance. We have, have already exceeded our commercial target. So, uh, yes, we are digging deep. Uh, into our pockets to uh, pay for this. But I think that's a demonstration of how important this tournament is and the measures that we will go to to make sure it's staged this year. Thanks, John. Thanks, Ian. So two final hands, if we can go, Martin, and then finish off with Brad, please. Thank you. <clears throat> Thanks, Mike. And just two very quick questions for Troy and one for John, if, if that's okay. <laughs> Troy, the this tournament was... Um, we obviously all hoped that it would generate an enormous surplus that could, much of which could then go to the International Rugby League body to help promote the game throughout the world. How big a hit do you think you will be taking? And, you know, do you think it will generate surplus funds that will allow you to expand the IRL's operations in terms of organising the game worldwide? Yeah, obviously, um... COVID-19 has um, impacted um, our revenue uh, projections from 
what they were uh, two, two years ago, without question, but uh, we're still revenue positive as a result. Uh, and as John alluded to, um, the commercial returns um, that they've achieved uh, has helped uh, in that. Uh, the UK government's uh, support has been significant and, uh, and, and critical, uh, to be frank, uh, with the tournament being able to continue. So yes, sure, there will be a hit to some of the funds, but a bigger hit would be the tournament not proceeding uh, because of that lo last, sorry, loss of momentum that I referred to earlier. Um, and we have our own commercial uh, plans that have been designed and developed in line with the new calendar that's coming as well. Uh, something that the IRL hasn't pursued. Um, and I've only been there for 18 months and I don't quite, have never been given an answer as to why the commerciality of the IRL hasn't been pursued or uh, established before now, but certainly a priority for me as chairman. So that's well on its way and well in frame. Um, so we're not singly just looking at this World Cup to help with our future investment into the game. There's other commercial and other investment pathways that we've designed uh, on a very strategic basis. Can I just ask you one more question on a, a different theme, uh, Troy? Sure. Um, obviously, everybody knows how well Tonga performed, you know, in the last, before the pandemic hit us. And it would be great to see Samoa, Fiji, even Papua New Guinea attaining that same sort of standard. But when you see, um, uh, when you see, for example, Mal Meninga saying to Jerome Luai, please play for Australia and not Samoa, can you put any pressure on Mal to not do that? Because it would be great to see Jerome stepping out at Newcastle in the opening game against England. You know, I suppose from an English point of view, it might be good if he wasn't there, but, you know, to give the tournament a great start, it would be great to see him playing for Samoa. I don't think I need to, I spoke at, I speak to Mal infrequently, but uh, I don't think I need to talk to him. I think Jerome Luai has already answered his question. And Is I think, um, and, Mal's, and Mal's already got another issue that Josh Papalihi has also said he wants to play for Samoa, not Australia. So um, the, the, the opportunities there and the excitement around, um, you know, the, the continued growth in the Tongan example of the other Pacific nations uh, is really high. Um, so some of the Kiwis performances this year uh, that I've seen, James Fisher-Harris is just probably the standout rugby league prop forward in the game internationally. Jared Waria Hargraves, this will be his last World Cup given his age, I would imagine, unless he's like Cameron Smith and plays on. The form of the Fijians in the, in the National Rugby League has been unbelievable. The Papua New Guineans uh, have been extraordinary. Uh, so... I just think this will be the, the most competitive World Cup uh, that we've seen in generations. And uh, the appetite and, and the commentary and the, the banter that's happening that I see and hear and from the Australian journalists that, that they're reporting is nothing but positivity and this absolute desire to uh, represent particularly their nations of heritage. I know that's not a, a, um, a strong thing in the Northern Hemisphere that players... Um, naturally do migrate to England or um, all the Great Britain teams when they do have a heritage link to other nations. But I know how strong it is in the Southern Hemisphere. And that's just a wonderful thing to raise the competitiveness of International Rugby League more broadly. Um, but the, the thing, if we can just get off the major thing, the thing I'm most looking forward to is the Women's and Wheelchair World Cup, to be honest with you. Uh, they're just going to be wonderful spectacles for the, the English communities and, and the worldwide TV audiences. That's they're just brilliant games and we're enormously proud of those two tournaments as well. 
If you could just take your Aussie hat off for a moment, Troy, how good how good would it be if some nation other than Australia won the World Cup? Yeah, look, I'm Scottish by heritage and my wife's Italian. Um, so, you know, we can have a bet each way. Uh, I'd love to see the Scots do well. And, and, and being an Aussie, you know, I don't mind when the Poms get beaten either by anybody. So uh, that's, that's just the way I roll. <laughs> And just a final question for John, if I may. John, obviously, in a World Cup, a lot of um, players' families like to follow them around the world uh, to watch them in the tournament. Is that going to be a problem this year? Will they not be able to, you know, get together with, with, with you know, the members of their family who might be playing in the tournament? Will the biosecure bubbles prevent that happening? Yeah, there'll have to be some compromise, uh, Martin, um, inevitably. Uh, I think it's too early to finally, uh, formally commit to what can and can't be done, uh, but we appreciate the uh, the extraordinary commitment that players will make to get here, um, to play in the tournament, to, in that hybrid um, biosecure environment, and then to return home and potentially to quarantine. Um, but let's also not forget, this isn't just about the players that are coming from Australia, New Zealand and the Pacific. Uh, we have many home nation players. We cannot wait to welcome Norway, the first ever Scandinavian team to play in a Rugby League World Cup. How exciting uh, is that? And I've al already alluded to Brazil, USA uh, and Canada. So uh, we will provide our very best. Uh, we appreciate players' mental well-being. We appreciate being away from families um, and we will do our best to uh, make that as good as we can but we will not compromise um, on safety and just one final point Martin just the question that you asked to Troy uh, at the start we are very confident as the tournament organizers we will provide the biggest ever financial return back to the international rugby league we are nothing but heartened to work with Troy I think we share the same vision about doing our best for International Rugby League. And again, we will not compromise on ensuring that International Rugby League benefits from this tournament financially so that it can continue to grow the game over the next four years. Thanks, John. Thanks, Martin. Um, I, I, apologies, Gavin. I've just seen your message in the in the chat. Uh, if, if, Brad, if you don't mind, if we can cut to Gavin because he hasn't had the opportunity to ask a question yet. And then we'll finish with Brad. I know we've got only a few minutes left, um, but if I can pass to you, Gavin. Thanks, Michael. Uh, question for John. A lot of the talk has been about the NRL players um, and decisions made by the ARLC. And we all know that individual coaches often uh, try to pull players out of international tournaments. I've seen it firsthand myself. Um, so even if we get the agreement from the ARLC, and uh, individual players may start to get withdrawn. What do you think the knock-on effects that may have on some of the countries that have got just a handful of NRL players? So, um, for example, Lebanon, Greece, Italy, maybe have three or four NRL players. Um, what are your thoughts on the fact that they've got the rest of the squad a part-time and they're gonna be taking five weeks off work um, and we're now only three months away, you know, it, it, there's going to be a lot of um, last minute decisions made here. And if players drop out, what are the knock on effects on part time players? Yeah, uh, thank you, uh, Gav. Nice to uh, see you. Um, it's hard, isn't it? This is hard. No one said it was going to be easy and the pandemic has certainly um, made it um, incredibly hard for everyone. Ultimately, this is about player uh, choice. Absolutely. Uh, the point on the coaches is quite interesting, um, Gavin, because there are many 
of the coaches, Michael Maguire, Trent Robinson, Mal Meninga, uh, Christian Wolf, they're actually in club environments and we have reached out to the coaches and we have been having that conversation. And again, our intelligence is that the player voice is really strong. So will there be some more challenges? Uh, what will the impact on part-time players be? We should recognise that almost exclusively in the women's and wheelchair competitions, the players are part-time. And we've always known that. And we just need to continue to work hard, make sure that we can offer the best financial package to the nations, and it will be better than ever before. The comparison between what was provided in 2017 to the women's and wheelchair athletes is actually incomparable compared to what we will provide. Um, we haven't got all the answers. All we can do, uh, Gavin, is be authentic, both in the UK, but also with our team in Sydney and continue the conversations uh, with the clubs, with the RLC and with all of the competing nations. Uh, will some players choose not to play? They will, and we shouldn't shy away from that, but we are very confident that the majority will commit and will arrive here ahead of the 23rd of October. And just given that, will there be um, increased squad sizes, do you think, given that, you know, what we've seen in the cricket with groups of players having to self-isolate, will we Will we uh, allow teams to bring more players than they normally would? Yeah, we, we, we're we having an ongoing conversation with Troy uh, and colleagues at the IRL, uh, again, thinking of all of those different um, scenarios, because we are mindful that getting to the start line is one um, major achievement, actually then continuing and playing all 61 games um, is going to be uh, really hard. So. Flexibility is the key, uh, Gavin. We haven't got all the answers. We would never pretend uh, that we have. We are solution-focused, we are tenacious, and we will continue to be so. Thank you. Thanks very much, Gavin, for your patience there. Uh, if we can just finish with Brad. Before, before that, if anybody would like the recording, I'm just about to put the email um, address in the chat for you to, to send a note to afterwards, and we'll share that round. I'll also put my email in the chat if anybody wants to pick up after this. Um, and then I'll pass over to Brad for, I think, is the final question. Yeah, just um, just finally, John, and it sort of follows on from what Gavin was saying. Into so the issue in the NRL appears to be around clubs, you know, clubs' uh, willingness to release players. Have you or will you reach out to the clubs? Like you said, you've spoken to Andrew Abdo and to the ARLC, but will you will you reach out and speak directly? communicate directly to those clubs and, and try and appease their concerns? Uh, absolutely, uh, Brad. I have reached out uh, to the clubs. Um, I'm very mindful and very respectful of doing things the right way. So we will continue to work via the ARLC. Uh, I would happily speak to any club chief executive. Um, I have given them my details. Um, maybe we can't answer all of those questions, but we'll have a real good go at satisfying as many things um, as possible. Ultimately, this comes down to player choice, player voice, and we will provide the safest possible environment. We are happy to continue to work hard. We will talk to anyone, uh, Brad. We've got 100 days now to deliver the biggest and best ever Rugby League World Cup, and we are incredibly confident that we can do that. Cheers, John. Before we close up, this is pretty immaculate timing. So thank you to everybody for your questions. Is, is there any other questions that we, we haven't um, addressed or anybody who wanted to ask a question? Okay, many thanks. John, is there, or Troy, is there anything you want to say to close or? 
just just like to thank everyone, um, Michael. I think many people share our desire to see the Rugby League World Cup staged this year. We will not shy away from the challenges that we face. We will continue to be authentic. We will be good communicators. Um, I am happy to keep speaking to people on a regular basis. Uh, but I'd like to just thank you all for joining us this morning and for offering your uh, outstanding support. Yeah, and finally from me, just to thank, thanks to everyone again for turning up and I'm likewise available uh, to anyone uh, if you uh, want to reach out. Um, my details are pretty easily accessible. I'll make sure Michael has them if there's any other specific international rugby league questions that you have. Happy to uh, follow up with you all. But just again, John and Chris, thank you so much for your team, to your teams and everyone involved. Uh, let's keep going and uh, I'm just really excited. October can't come quick enough in some regards, but uh, there's still a lot of work to be done and we're right beside you in achieving that outcome. Uh, sorry, Michael, I couldn't ask Troy one very quick question, but I asked Matt Newsom here. We've got two minutes, so I'll... Yeah, I'll... literally, it's a very quick one. It is a very quick one, sorry. Uh, uh, Troy, you were talking before about, you know, the likes of James Tedesco being really excited about playing in this tournament. How important do you think, um, almost like peer pressure is the wrong word, but uh, how much do you think that kind of word of mouth enthusiasm from players can be towards the rest of the kind of rugby league community? I think it's significant. Uh, there, there are, without question, leaders, player leaders in our game who have enormous influence, uh, and that's from all nations. Uh, I, I know a lot of them. I, I've spoken to a lot of them, and uh, I've got no doubt that, uh, like anything, I've used the word momentum quite a few times. I think um, players' commitment to the tournament will help build its own momentum uh, in regard to what um, John said about player choice and player voice. Uh, and that's also helped by the assurances that the RLPA have been able to achieve on their behalf. And all that's been asked of the Rugby League World Cup from um, the RLPA, from the players' point of view, has all been met by the, the World Cup committee. So I think that'll be a significant um, influencing and positive out, um, aspect of it all. Thank you. Cheers.